There we are. So excited to be here this morning. Yes. Hey, well, before we get started, can you guys help me welcome all of our friends and family joining us online right now? Come on, show them some love. Thank you guys so much for joining in. We are so glad you're here. Listen, if you have any questions, anything you want to know about High Ridge or anything throughout the message you hear, something you want more questions or answers, uh, we have an awesome team right now that would love to connect with you in the comments below. But again, we thank you so much for joining with us online. Let us know where you're watching from. Man, I'm excited to be here this weekend, but next weekend is going to be a great weekend as well. Next weekend's Vision Weekend. Come on, somebody. Vision Weekend next weekend. Pastor Tim is gonna be back in the house. I know you guys have missed him, yes. So excited to have him back. And Pastor Tim, I know you're probably watching right now. I love you, brother. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here again. This is my third time this year, guys. I told the elders, just go ahead and put me in office over there somewhere. I can have somewhere to sit when I come here. But I, I'm so thankful for you, for you Pastor Tim. And I uh, can't wait for you to be back next week. I know the church is excited and expectant for what the Lord has shown you during your sabbatical. And so excited to hear what the Lord is going to do this year. Amen. For those of you that are new to High Ridge, one thing I love about our church is that we love to give rest to our pastors. And so if you don't know what a sabbatical is, basically that's where the lead pastor, he and his family get to go away for several weeks. They're disconnected from the church, no texts, no emails, no nothing. And the whole idea is to reconnect with their family and reconnect with the Lord. And so the reason that is important is so that he can lead this church to be the church that God has called you guys to be. And so I know he's really, really excited about next week, and I'm excited for you guys. So again, love you, Pastor Tim. Y'all give it up for Pastor Tim one more time. Show him some love. Show him some love. Love you, brother. Well, listen, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to the Old Testament. We're going to Old Testament today. Old Testament, we're going to be in the book of Judges. In fact, we're going to spend our entire time here today in the book of Judges. So turn to Judges chapter 8, and I want to give you some context of how I came up with this message, how the Lord, the Holy Spirit, led me to put this message together. For some of you, you may remember that about six weeks ago, I was here in Longview, and I preached a message called Tend the Flame. And in that message, we briefly looked at the life of Gideon and a moment that he had with the Lord. Well, after I preached here that Sunday, I left and spent an entire week in Arkansas uh, studying and teaching on the life of Gideon. And throughout my study in, in Gideon's life, man, I just felt the Holy Spirit show me so many things in the Israelites' relationship in Gideon with the Lord, things that I was watching them struggle with in this story, and I found myself saying, man, I, I go through some of those same things. And so I felt the Lord lead me that after I taught on Gideon for an entire week, I, I really wanted to put a single message together, a message that encompasses the entire story of Gideon and the Israelites. And I wanted to share some things that the Holy Spirit showed me. And he, here's the thing about this message. This message, I truly believe, and this is gonna be a bold statement, I understand that, I truly believe that this message can revolutionize your relationship with God if you'll lean in today. Now, I know that preachers say that all the time, right? Like, we've always got those messages like, this is that message, right? Like, this is gonna change your world, this is gonna change your life, change your I know I've been guilty of saying that before, but I truly believe, and I'm saying this with confidence, that today, if you'll lean in and listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to show you through this story, this is one of those messages. And the reason I can say that with confidence is because this message, as I put it together, as I studied for this message, and I began to apply this principle to my life, it has already changed my relationship with the Lord. 
And, and I've been a believer for over 15 years now, a pastor for over 10, and this message is one of those messages for my life, and so I believe it's gonna do the same for you. And so I'm excited to share this message with you this morning. So again, we're gonna pick it up in Judges chapter eight. Now before I read this short little passage, I'm gonna do something a little bit different. I'm gonna give you the ending before I give you the beginning. <laughs> Have you ever watched one of those movies like the opening scene is the main character and it's actually the end of the movie. He's in a life or death situation. You have no context of what's going on. That's what we're about to do in this story. So Judges chapter eight, we're gonna pick it up in verse 33. Here's what it says. As soon as Gideon died, spoiler alert, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal-bereth their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubel, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. I don't come up with titles very often for my message, but I'm really excited about this one, so you have to write it down, all right? The title of the message today is this. Remember, everyone say, remember. Remember that time. Remember that time. Let's pray as we get ready to dig into this story. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for our time in worship and our opportunity to praise and glorify you. Holy Spirit, right now in this moment, I invite you to use my voice to build and encourage your people for your glory and for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. and everyone said, Amen. have you ever struggled with short-term memory loss before? Anybody in the room? Like, have you ever like, forgot where you put your keys or your wallet or your phone, and so then you spend like 30 minutes looking around the house and then found out it was in your hand the whole time. You ever done that before? Short-term memory loss, or hey, how about long-term memory loss? Like, have you ever forgotten something that you shouldn't forget? Like, for me, I'm a, I'm a father of three, all right? And so after two kids, I just forget my kids' names all the time, right? And it's super embarrassing. Like, we'll be in church, and my son will be at one end of the lobby doing something he's not supposed to. I've got all these church people who know who I am, and I'm yelling down the lobby, hey, yo, quit, stop, don't, hey, get him, that kid right there. No, not that one, that one, yeah. Tell him to come here, Errol, what do you, and he'll be like, daddy, why don't you just say my name? I forgot, son, all right? I just forgot your name. <laughs> it happens as a father. The more kids you have, the parents can attest to this. Or, hey, have you ever done this? Have you ever forgot your own name? <laughs> Here's where it gets worse. Have you ever introduced yourself as someone else? This happened to me one time. Like I walked up to a guy, I don't know what happened. My brain went on screensaver mode. I'm not sure. I just walked up and I was like, hey, my name's Peter. He's like, hey, Peter, nice to meet you. I'm like, time out. I'm sorry, sir. I, I have four names. John, Zachary, Day, Grider. Peter's not one of them. This is embarrassing. Walk away. Right, but, but for us, every one of you in this room can relate to that, right? Like there are just times that we just forget things. And here was what's interesting about that. The human brain is absolutely incredible. In fact, science would say that your brain and my brain is pretty much limitless on its ability to store information, which means almost everything you've experienced, seen, or read in your life is in your brain. But yet there's this disconnect sometimes for us to be able to retrieve that information. Also, studies have shown that your brain is like a muscle. And like any other muscle, the more you exercise it, the more you strengthen the neurotransmitter connections in your brain, and the more easily you are to easy it is to retrieve information or memories in your brain. In fact, here's some good news for all the adults in the room that are getting up in age. You know, a lot of times we've always equated losing our memory to the older we get, the 
more we forget, right? Studies are now showing that age has nothing to do with memory loss. In fact, what they're showing is that what's happening with a lot of adults is that the older they get, the less they exercise their brain. But if you'll continue to exercise your brain, and here's how you do it. The more you reflect, the more you recall, the more you meditate on an event, a memory, or a person, the stronger the connection in your brain is to that thing. Memories are absolutely incredible. Our brain is incredible. But here's the problem with Israelites. The Israelites had a memory problem. What the Israelites struggled with in the book of Judges is remembering how good their God is. In fact, when you study the book of Judges, here's some seminary for you. When you study the book of Judges, you'll see this pattern throughout the entire book. Now, we're picked at the story up in chapter 8, but here's the pattern we see with Israelites. Eventually, they forget how good their God is, which then leads them to disobeying God. And as they disobey God, sooner or later, because God's a good, good father, he disciplines his children. Can I remind you that Hebrews tells us that God disciplines us because he loves us. So we see this pattern. They forget how good God is. They disobey. God then is going to discipline them. But then God always, again, because he's a good, good father, he's going to deliver them. And there's this cycle throughout the book of Judges that you see. They just continue to go through this revolving door of forgetting about how good God is, him disciplining them, uh, them disobeying him, disciplining them, and then delivering them. In fact, I would argue that since the inception of the Israelites all the way until the New Testament, you see this pattern. And so as I was studying the life of Gideon and the Israelites, I realized, man, I get caught in the same cycle. And so today, what I want us to look at is the story of the Israelites and learn some things from them that can keep you and I from going through the revolving door of lacking faith. Because see, when we stop remembering how good our God is, then we start to lack confidence in who he is. So let's go to the beginning of the story. Let's pick it up in Judges chapter six. So here's some more context for you. Again, they're in this cycle. We're in chapter six. The first five chapters, if you go study them, that cycle has been happening throughout the book of Judges. In this current state, here's what's happening. The Israelites had experienced 40 years of peace, but then they started to forget how good their God is. So now he's disciplining them. They're in the middle of being disciplined where we're about to pick up the story. Here's how God is disciplining his children. He's allowing a neighboring nation called Midian, which is now modern-day Saudi Arabia, He's allowing them to oppress the Israelites. Now for seven, everyone say seven. Seven years the Israelites have been under oppression from the Midianites, and now they're crying out to God. So now let's pick up this story and see what God's gonna do. Judges chapter six, we're gonna look at verses seven through 10. When the people of Israel cried out to God on the account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. And you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. So the Israelites are in the midst of being disciplined, and this has been happening for seven years. So now they're crying out to God for him to deliver them. And what's interesting about this situation is that God's interaction with his children is first to remind them of what he's done for them in the past. 
So he takes them back to Egypt. So for those of you that haven't seen the Disney movie, let me remind you what happens. So the children of Israel were enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt for over 400 years. They cry out, they cry out. Finally, God responds. He hears their cries. He sends the deliverer, Moses, to go and lead them. The 10 plagues of Egypt come against Pharaoh and his armies to remind the people and for all of history of who God is. He then brings them out of Egypt, parts the Red Sea, walks them through, and after 40 years, takes them in the promised land. So here's what I found fascinating about this. The children of Israel know these stories. In fact, they have songs about them. And they've been oppressed for seven years. They are in a storm. They are in a valley by their own choice and because of their own disobedience, they are nonetheless, they're in a storm. They're in a valley. They're in a very difficult situation. And in the midst of this situation, God's first encounter with them is to remind them of whose they are. Now watch this. The reason God's going to remind them of whose they are is because they have forgotten who they are. Church, can I remind you that when you forget whose you are, you forget who you are. See, the problem with the Israelites in this cycle that they continue to go through, watch this, every time they stop remembering how good their God is, every time they start disobeying, they run into an identity crisis. And so what we see, and you can go study this in multiple other stories throughout the Old Testament, here's what happens every time with the Israelites. When they run into an identity crisis, when they forget who they are, the sons and daughters of the creator of the heavens and the earth, when they forget who they are, they start grasping for identity. And in this case, they're grasping for Baal, a, a false god that had been worshiped during this time because they forgot who the one true God is. Hey, listen, doesn't that sound familiar? Don't we do the same as Christians? That as soon as our marriage is on the rocks, as soon as our finances are struggling, as soon as the government starts failing, as soon as culture turns on us, don't we just start grasping for identity everywhere instead of stopping and remembering whose we are? We see this in Christians all the time. So we grasp for identity. Watch this in our sexuality. We grasp for identity in our relationship, in our marriage, in our kids, in our businesses, in our politics. And what happens to us as believers is that when we forget whose we are, we forget who we are, and we start grasping for identity in the wrong things. The Israelites had forgotten. So God here reminds them of what he's done for them. He reminds them of the price that he paid for them. He's reminding them of their value. Can I remind someone today and someone watching online that your life has value? Well, Zach, you don't know me. You don't know where I come from. You don't, I don't have to. I know the creator. See, value is not determined by the object. It's determined by the buyer. In fact, your spouse, your boss, your parents, your children, your coworkers, this government, this culture, no one gets to determine your value. You know why? Because they paid nothing for it. Your creator did, though. He paid the ultimate price by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. So for those of you that are in this identity crisis and you have forgotten whose you are, can I remind you that you are a son, you are a daughter of the one true king. Why? Because Jesus went to that cross and he hung on it to set you free. And he walked out of that tomb three days later so that you could have a relationship with God. Come on, somebody. That's to get you pumped up. You are a son and a daughter of the one true king. But what happens to us as Christians, and listen, I'm guilty of this. We get into these seasons where life is falling apart. Everything around us seems to be going wrong. And in the midst of that, our confidence, our faith in God begins to dwindle. Why? Because we have forgotten whose we are. 
And when we have these identity crises, we start allowing others to define who we are. And we forget, and it continues to lead in this cycle. Remember whose you are, because that will always lead you to remembering who you are and who God has created you to be, amen? And this is where the Israel's, Israelites find themselves. So they're being punished, seven years of oppression. They cry out to God. God's first interaction is to remind them of who they are. Now what's gonna happen is God's now gonna send a deliverer. In fact, throughout the Bible, anytime God gets into the part of the cycle where he's gonna deliver his people, he sends a deliverer. Hey, the good news for us, can I remind you, church, the deliverer has already come for you. It's not the right president, it's not the right government, it's not the right solutions, it's not a better marriage, it's not more money in the bank. The deliverer, the Messiah, has already come. So here's what's gonna happen. God continues in this pattern. He's gonna spare his children. He's going to deliver them from the oppression that they're under by sending a deliverer. And this is where we're gonna pick up the story. Judges chapter six. This is where Gideon, our hero, our deliverer, comes into the story. Judges chapter six, verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? So here's what's happening. God is sending a deliverer, he finds this guy named Gideon. Now we're about to see this conversation, this back and forth, if you will, that's gonna happen between Gideon and God. So the Israelites have been crying out, God's now gonna respond, send a deliverer, God picks who the deliverer is gonna be. Now watch this, God has a plan for Gideon. He has a destiny for Gideon's life, if you will. And now when he engages Gideon, there's gonna be this argument going back and forth, and that's what we're gonna pick up in verse 15. And he said, this is Gideon now responding to God, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan, where I come from, is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. So hold up, God. I mean, I want you to deliver us, but God, I'm, where I come from is the weakest in all Manasseh, and not only that, I'm the weakest in my own house. God, you've got the wrong guy for this. God goes on to say, but, everyone say but. I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Here's what's interesting about this interaction. God wants to deliver his children, so he finds the deliverer who's gonna be Gideon. Calls Gideon and says, listen, I, I am sending you. Don't I send you? God, the one, remember, that brought you out of Egypt, part of the Red Sea, brought you into the promised land? I, all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present, I am sending you. And Gideon goes, wait a second, God, you got the wrong person. So now there's this back and forth. Here's Gideon's problem. Gideon is more focused on his inabilities rather than God's abilities. Hey, church, does that sound familiar? Does it sound familiar that when God asks you to do something with your life, maybe you need to end that relationship, maybe you need to change the way you structure your finances, maybe you don't need to go to that college, maybe you need to do this or that with your life. When we get to those places in our relationship with God, those steps of faith, if you will, what oftentimes happens to us as Christians, we spend more time focusing on our inabilities rather than focusing on God's abilities. So Gideon's arguing about his past, where he comes from. Gideon has also forgotten who he is and who he belongs to. And I think what we can pull from this interaction between Gideon and God, listen, we have to remember who God is. So not only are we supposed to remember whose we are, we're supposed to remember who our God is. Hey, I believe that for most of you here today and those watching a lot, if you call yourself a Christian, I'm willing to bet that you believe that God is 
all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. And we know this, right? He's the creator of the universe. But here's the problem. Just like Gideon, many of us, we struggle with remembering who God is in the midst of opposition and storms and valleys in our life. Listen, church, either he's God or he's not. Either he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present, or he's not. And listen to me, if he's not, then he's not God. You and I are wasting our time. He is God. We believe that. But what we have to do because of our memory loss issues is that in the face of our marriage problems, in the face of our issues in our life, in order to fight for the faith, the confidence in God, we have to stop and remember who our God is. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. He is God, and we are his. So here's what's interesting about this story. So Gideon goes back and forth. In fact, it continues throughout chapter six. Gideon, this back and forth arguing with God. And then we go into chapter seven, and I shared this story with you last time, so I'm just gonna highlight it for you. In chapter seven, here's what happens. Gideon finally believes God, that he's the one to go and deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites. So now we have this story in chapter seven. Gideon's standing there with God. He's got 32,000 warriors on his side. But here's the problem for Gideon. He's facing 135,000. Now in this interaction in chapter seven, God comes to Gideon and says, whoa, 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 what are you, what are you doing? And Gideon says, well, I'm, I'm the deliverer. I, remember we argued, but you convinced me despite my past where I come from, I'm the one. I'm weak, but you're strong. I'm the one, like this, I'm going into battle. And God says, whoa, whoa, here's the deal. You got too many warriors. Because Gideon, if you go into this battle, you're going to win because I've given you the victory. But if you go into this battle and win, then you and the Israelites are gonna take the glory instead of giving the glory to me. And so God then leads Gideon to dwindle his army of 32,000 down to 300. And sure enough, just like God had promised, they go in and they deliver the Israelites. They defeat the Midianites. What's the point here? Watch this. Out of this whole passage back in chapter 6 that I read to you, and this interaction between God and Gideon, here's the word I find the most fascinating in that passage. But. Everyone say but. And here's why I find it fascinating. Because God in his interaction and trying to convince Gideon he's the deliverer. Watch this. Gideon starts pointing again to where he'd come from. He has all these excuses of why he cannot be the man that God has called him to be. And here's what God doesn't do. God doesn't go, no, Gideon, that's not true. Where you come from is awesome. You're strong. You're great in your family. You can do, he doesn't do any of that. Instead, when he hears Gideon's excuses about where he comes from and being the weakest in his father's house, here's what God says. So, in other words, watch this. God is saying, yeah, that is true. You do come from the weakest clan in Manasseh. Yeah, you are the weakest in your family, but I am with you. Whew. Church, in the face of opposition, when we can recognize our weaknesses, then it allows us to lean on God's strength. That's the beauty. And so for many of you, you have the same temptation. I do that. When you're facing one of these big steps of faith that God's calling you into, or you're, you're in this tough season, everything around you is falling apart, and you're lacking confidence in God, Here, here's what you begin to do, just like me. You start making all the excuses of why you can't do what God's called you to do. Well, I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have the same background as these other people. I didn't have the same start as these other people. I don't have the same resources as them. And we start making all these excuses. And what I want you to hear today is so what? God sent you. And God is with you. And if God is for you, then who can be against you? 
Don't allow your excuses to put you in the place like the Israelites where you forget who your God is. Amen? So the Israelites go on to defeat the Midianites. In fact, Gideon would go on to defeat them again. And as the cycle continues, here's what happens. God delivers them, and now they experience peace. In fact, the peace that they would experience is the same amount of time. You see the cycle throughout Judges. It's 40 years of peace. And so the Israelites are in this place again. They, they've experienced peace. Everything's great. There's no oppression. There's no war. There's no one trying to kill them. They got all these great things happening in this time in history for 40 years. The Gideon grows old in his age. He lives with his family, enjoys the peace of the Lord and all of his blessing that comes during this time. And then eventually Gideon passes away. And now that you have context, now that you see the whole script of the movie, let's read the ending scene one more time. Judges 8.34, and the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all, everyone say all, their enemies on every side. Eight chapters in, here we are again. God has shown up, he has disciplined, he has delivered, he has brought peace, and yet his children forget again how good their God is. Listen, honestly, as I study the Israelites in the Old Testament, I find myself getting extremely frustrated with them. Like sometimes just want to just throw punch. You know what I'm talking about? Can you say that, church? Not sure. Love you, Pastor Tim. <laughs> but I find myself getting frustrated. Because here's the deal. I'm like, in 2021, I'm looking back then, and I'm like, what's your excuse, Israelites? I don't know about you, but if I'm standing there with a couple of million people, after I just saw the 10 plagues of Egypt, and I see some old guy raise his staff in the air in a Red Sea part, and we walk around, walk through on dry ground, I don't have any more questions. I'm good. No more questions, no more doubt, no more fear. God, I believe you. I saw you do it. Let's go. But we don't see this with the Israelites. In fact, the pattern we see is that despite the miracles, can I just tell you that getting his 300 men who defeat 135,000, that's a miracle? That wasn't a secret. The Israelites knew what God had done. And yet they remembered no longer. And then I think about the New Testament. Wait a second, this happened to Jesus. Jesus had his disciples. He, he walked on water, the greatest party trick ever in history. Walks on water, raises Lazarus from the dead. We're not talking about a guy who just died for like 30 minutes and Jesus brought, he was dead for three days. His body stunk. And Jesus walked, calls him from the grave. They saw him do it. Men sat there and watched him do these miracles in their life and yet they still chose to remember no more. And then I think about my life. I do the same thing. My hope today, church, is that I remind us, let it be said of you, let it be said of me, that we remember what God has done for us. Listen, you're here breathing air. I bet you've got stories. I mean, some of you probably have stories like me. You shouldn't even be alive right now. But God, remember what he's done for you. So as I shared earlier, I have three kids. And one thing I've discovered about kids is that they love to complain. 
50% of the time, they're complaining or they're whining about something. And here's the deal, my kids, like the more hungry and tired they are, the worse it gets. Like an exorcism needs to happen at some point. The more tired and frustrated they get, they, they just start whining. When they don't get their way, when you don't give them what they want, tell them what they want, they just start this whining and this complaining. And listen, here's what I found. Spanking just makes it worse sometimes for them. Especially my six-year-old boy, because he is as hard-headed as his mother. Just kidding. <laughs> he gets it from me. He gets it from me. Gets it from me, big time. Super hard. So, so here's what I started doing a few years ago with my son. When my son gets super emotional, because he don't get his way, he starts whining, throwing a fit. A few years ago, I started doing this thing with him where I would sit him down. Maybe it's on the couch or in a chair, wherever we are, I'll make him sit down, and then I'll sit down beside him. And I'll lower my voice, and I'll just lean over. I'll put my arm around him, and I'll say, hey, Errol, do you remember that time? We went camping, and you started crying because you heard the coyote sound off, and Daddy was there to protect you, and do you remember that time? Yeah, Daddy, I remember that. I was, I was so scared. I say, hey, Arrow, do you remember that time? I caught that rattlesnake with my bare hands, and you were in the background saying, cook it, Daddy, cook it. <laughs> yeah, Daddy, I remember that. Why didn't you cook that snake? Arrow, do you remember that time we were driving and side by side, and I turned one way, and then I turned another on accident, and you weren't paying attention and holding on, and you went flying out the side by side, and I was laughing, and you were crying. You were so mad at me. Yeah, Daddy, that was so mean. I'm a good parent, I promise, all right? It was a legit accident. I didn't do it on purpose, and he was safe, so it was funny. It was very funny. When I do that with my son, there are two things that happen. First, his attitude changes. Secondly, his perspective changes. Because my son is going from a moment of questioning his father, being upset with his daddy because daddy won't give him what he wants, to a moment of remembering how much his daddy loves him and the things that his father has done for him. Church, I have to do this all the time with my heavenly father. Because like many of you, I experienced some of the same things with God. I experienced doubt. I experienced frustration and anger. And what I have to do as a believer is I have to stop sometimes and I have to say, Zach, do you remember do you remember that time that you met him? Do you remember what it was like to feel hopeless and broken? Do you remember the shame and the guilt that you felt from the things that you had done? And do you remember that night when you met him? And when you surrendered your life to him, the peace that you felt, that surpassed all understanding. Do you remember that? Do you remember that time, Zach, that you got into the car wreck and the sheriff's deputy walked up to the driver's side window, and when he looked in, he saw the seatbelt box holding on by a screw. And had that screw not held, you wouldn't be here? Do you remember that time, Zach? Where you were so done with life, and you were ready to give up and end it, 
in the bedroom that night, and yet God stepped in and reminded you of who you are, the fact that you're loved, and he has a plan for your life. Church, what I'm here today to convince you of is that God loves you and he has a plan for your life despite how you feel. And so here's the thing about faith. Faith is seen in the present, but God's faithfulness is seen in the past. And as we live in this tension as believers and battling with our faith when things are falling apart around us, and we want to believe in him, we want to be confident in him, we want to trust him, when we find ourselves in that season, my hope is that we would stop and we would remember that time. Because just like me, every single one of you in this room that call yourself a believer, you have those moments. You have those moments where he came through. You have those moments where he took care of you. And we've gotta be disciplined as believers to stop and remember that time. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, God. We thank you for the testimony of Gideon and the Israelites. We thank you for what you've done for us. And God, my prayers for every person sitting in here today and those watching online. God, the reality is that there's a, a lot of people, God, who are, who are battling with their faith. They're faith, facing these situations that are causing them doubt and anger, maybe even shame and guilt. God, my hope is that in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this valley, that they would stop and remember that time. Remember that time. Protect them, Lord. Strengthen them and draw them closer to yourself. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, one more prayer for you today before we dismiss. Maybe as I was reflecting on my relationship with the Lord in the night that I met Jesus for the first time, you found yourself struggling to remember the same. Maybe there are some of you sitting in here or maybe watching online that the truth is you can't remember that time where you met Jesus and he changed your life. Sure, maybe you know about him. Maybe you know all about him. But you can't remember that time that you met him and he changed you. Well, here's what I wanna do, friend. I wanna give you the opportunity to meet him because that Jesus that met me that night and changed my life he loves you just as much as he loves me. And he wants a relationship with you as well. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray a prayer. It's not a magical prayer. This isn't a formula or anything like that. In fact, you could use your own words if you'd like. But what we're gonna do in this moment is surrender our life to Jesus. And if you wanna do that, you can do it right here today. So if that's you, friend, you wanna surrender him, surrender to him completely, this is your opportunity. So just pray with me quietly to yourself. And this is for those that are watching online as well. Pray with me, friend. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I've messed up. God, I wanna ask you to forgive me of my sins. And right now, I wanna turn from doing life my way. 
And I want to start doing life your way. Jesus, I want to invite you into my heart and into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. And Jesus, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for dying on the cross for me, for conquering sin and death, and for just now saving me. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, there are some of you here today that just prayed that prayer for the first time, and I, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you anything like that. I want to celebrate your decision. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, for those of you that just prayed with me, would you just lift up your hand real quick? Just those that prayed. Awesome, I got you in the back. Just those that prayed. Got you, man. Awesome. Just those that prayed. Just lift up your hand real quick. Awesome. For those of you that prayed with me, no one else looking up, no one looking around, those of you that raised your hand, would you just look up at me and make eye contact real quick? Just those that prayed. Man, I'm so, so excited for you. This is just the beginning of a life-changing relationship. So here's what I want to do. I want to help you in this journey that you're starting. As your spiritual family, we want to go on this journey with you. So here's what I would love for you to do. And this goes for those that are watching online as well. I would love for you to text, I prayed. You can see it here on the, sp- on the screen. I pray to 844-HRC-TEXT, and here's why that's important. You've taken a step today, and we want to help you take the next step. And so I'd love for you to fill that out, and our team's going to reach out to you very soon to encourage you, to pray for you, and to show you what to do next in your relationship with Jesus. Man, I'm so, so excited for you. Hey, church, can we give it up for those that prayed to receive Christ? Come on, show them some love. Well, listen, I, I love you guys so much. I hope you have a blessed week, and remember that time. Brother Bill, tell us what's next.